calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Tales Beyond Time, episode 36. Hello again, fellow travelers, and welcome back to Tales Beyond Time, presented by Realm. I'm Marco Palmieri, your host for another amazing adventure. This week, I'm thrilled to bring you a very special story from celebrated Indian writer Mimi Mandal, whom you may recall from episode three, when we featured her dark fantasy whodunit, Other People. Mimi's contribution this time is her Nebula-nominated novelette, His Footsteps Through Darkness and Light, originally published in 2019 on Tor.com and narrated for Realm by Vikas Adam. It was selected for inclusion in Nebula Awards Showcase 55, the Long List Anthology Volume 6, and the 2019 edition of Some of the Best of Tor.com. The majestic Oriental Circus has always been a home for outcasts and misfits, but when a sacred dancer begs the trapeze master for help, an act of compassion sets in motion a sequence of events that threatens to destroy them all. Gentle listeners, I'm delighted to present His Footsteps Through Darkness and Light. I am not a fighter, I am a trapeze master. At the majestic Oriental Circus, which had been my home for two years, I had climbed the ropes deft and fast till I was the leader of a team of about 15 aerial performers. It was in my genes. There were other rewards too of the circus life. It had brought me into the grace of Shahzad Marid. A trapeze master has no lack of duties, training and overseeing his team. But I continued to perform with Shehzad in his grand stage illusion show, Aladdin and his magic lamp. I took great pride in my own trapeze act and the team that I trained from scratch, but I have to admit that Aladdin was the crowd's favourite. None of the credit for that popularity was owed to me. I am a genius at the ropes overhead, flinging myself from grip to grip so gracefully you would believe I could fly. But on earth, up close, I am a man entirely devoid of charm. Before I joined the circus, I did not even speak a language that could be understood in polite society. Even now, 
I fumble for the right word at the right moment. I occasionally slip into an accent that makes the city people sneer. But as Aladdin, all I had to do was put on a pair of satin pants and a skull cap and pair it a series of memorized lines. I had never met an Arab street urchin nor had an inkling what all the words meant, but neither had anyone in the audience. I bellowed, Ya Allah! and Shukr hai! and Dafa ho ja shaitan! at my cues. The girl who trained the parakeets doubled as the princess in a shiny ghagra and choli, adorned with tawdry sequins. Johuri, our proprietor and ringmaster, completed the cast as the villainous Zafar, dressed in a moth-eaten velvet cloak. It was an almost ridiculous performance, but it turned into the most renowned act of the majestic Oriental Circus, all at the touch of Shahzad Marid. As the three of us hemmed and hawed through our scripted gibberish, the genie would emerge from his lamp in clouds of curling smoke. Illuminated by our cheap stage lights, the clouds would take the shape of a magnificent palace, the gaping maw of a cave, raging armies on horseback that crashed into the audience until our entire circus tent would erupt with gasps, applause and cries of horror and disbelief. A small child could hold open his palm and receive a dancing huri, crafted immaculately of ice as the clouds condensed. Then they billowed up again, into monsters never heard of, swooping rocks, clerics whose voices soared in prayer across minarets that pierced the sky above a faraway mythical city. Hundreds of jinn, and back to the only one. It was a show unlike anything offered by any rival circus company in our land. I was assigned to this act four months after I joined the Majestic Oriental Circus, a naive, illiterate village young man who had been given a job by Dayaram, the former trapeze master, almost out of pity. It turned out that I climbed better than anyone else on the team, but I had never seen a circus before, could hardly follow the shimmering line between illusion and truth. Before I took over, Johari would play both Aladdin and Zafar, disappearing behind the clouds and reappearing in changed costume with a lightness of foot you would not expect from a fat, middle-aged man like him. But then, no one at the majestic Oriental Circus was merely what met the eye. The circus life is not for the mundane. Johri had been happy to delegate Aladdin to me. An agile young man was more suited to the role than himself, he had said with a wink in front of the entire company. I nodded along, though both of us knew that was just the cover. A circus troupe had no dearth of agile young men. No. We both knew it was because I was the only other person at the Majestic Oriental Circus that Shahzad Marid had entrusted with his lamp. I was a hack Aladdin, awkward and bombarding, nothing like my fluid, almost lyrical performance on the trapeze ropes. It made the entire act of Aladdin and his magic lamp come across as gaudy, over the top. That was just the effect Johari was going for. We were a travelling circus, never spending more than a week or two in the same city, town or village fair. So the day Johari declared that we would travel to Tripuram to perform at the wedding of the Raja's daughter, we packed up our tents and bags and set out on the journey. 
there is little power left in the hands of the rajas of yore but you wouldn't think so if you were at the palace of the tripuram raja on the day we arrived accustomed though we were to the illusory palaces of arabia that shahzad conjured up three shows a day our entire troop gazed awestruck at the vibrantly painted temples spires courtly residences and finally looming over them all resplendent in its intricate balconies and mythological frescoes adorning the walls pillars and steps the palace itself the palace grounds teemed with musicians poets storytellers snake charmers tawaifs notankis entertainers from all over the land those traditional artists had been assigned living quarters inside the buildings a circus was foreign entertainment our troop an unrestrained mingling of men and women of indistinct lineage sharing space with monkeys elephants birds tigers though we had been invited to perform on the night of the wedding we were allowed to sleep only in our own trucks and tents we set them up within the palace grounds under the sky the grounds were thrumming with activity as we rolled into our spots the hot afternoon air was cloying with the aroma of outdoor cooking for all the poor people of the city were to eat two meals at the raja's generosity every day of the festivities there were two queues of revelers waiting to be fed one for brahmins another for the infidels and the untouchables winding as long as the eye could see wedding guests wandered within the premises trailed by servants holding umbrellas fans and jugs of water massive electricity generators growled along the palace walls powering thousands of lanterns and strings of light it was a spectacle more modern and grandiose than anything shahzad could pull up from the myths of a distant past if the circus was a novelty to the raja's palace it was no less a novelty to us our entire troop was comprised of people who had grown up poor we dealt in glitter and illusion but all our clothes were cheap synthetics and sequins often threadbare and sewn together in places our jewelry made of glass tin foil and paint we had never seen so many varieties of silk so many diamonds rubies and emeralds casually glittering under daylight as the royal guests wandered by at lunch my trapeze team would not stop eating until i threatened them with immediate unemployment if any of them disgraced me at the night's performance as the busy day waned towards sunset conch shells were sounded and there was instant silence within the palace grounds a procession of young women emerged from the doorway of the palace led by a priest each of them carried a holy tray of prayer offerings the women were indescribably beautiful more so in their dazzling elegant attire reminding me of the sculptures of apsaras heavenly dancers that i had only seen before on temple walls these women were not dressed like the wives or daughters of the royalty yet they were too demure too distant from us they did not speak with or even look at any of the other performers who stepped back to make way for them to pass devadasis whispered a girl from my trapeze team her voice nearly choking in awe what are they i whispered back i was completely ignorant of the customs of royalty 
But even Shahzad, who was less so, stared uncomprehendingly at these women. I have never seen one of them before, the girl explained under her breath, never once taking her eyes off the fascinating trail. You never see a Devdasi. No commoner does, except on occasions like this. Devdasis are holy courtesans, bequeathed at birth to the patron deity of a kingdom maintained by its king. They are trained as dancers, but not like any of us. They will never perform before a commoner or in exchange for money. Their dance is an act of worship. They are divine. The girl's words swung gently between envy and faith. The Devadasis will now go to the town's main temple to seek blessings for the Raja's daughter. Offer themselves up in performance. The wedding can only take place after the Kuldevi, the patron goddess of the kingdom, has bestowed her blessings. No one told me there was anything supernatural in this town, I said, intrigued. Two years ago, I would have laughed at any mention of such things, but enough time at the Majestic Oriental Circus opens the minds to all kinds of possibilities. The girl laughed. Who said anything was supernatural? Everything's a joke to you, Binuda. I meant real divine. Like... Priests are divine. Devdasis commune with the gods. They are born into holiness. They don't do tricks with sleight of hand and off-stage machinery. That's what people come to us for. I stared again. The face of the young woman at the head of the procession was so flawless and serene that I could almost believe in her divinity. Priests were born into the Brahmin caste and I had met enough Brahmins in my life to know that not all of them were priests or even had a shred of spirituality in them. Usually they were arrogant and corrupt, frankly, quite despicable people to know. But the gaze of this woman was clear and resolute, fixed on the vermilion sky over the temple where she was headed. Her step was graceful, undoubtedly perfected through the lifelong dance worship to which she was devoted. No creature could be further removed from the giggling girls in my circus, whose brittle poise disappeared as soon as they stepped behind the stage. Afterward, we returned to our tents to prepare for our show, which was to be the opening performance of the wedding celebrations. We were not there to watch the Devdasi's return. The show went smoothly. My boys and girls could hardly keep their eyes off the ornate ceiling of the Raja's court as they swung and swerved across it, but none of them faltered at their act. Aladdin and his magic lamp was a roaring success with the royal wedding guests. Shehzad was stoic through all of it. He had seen his share of palace interiors in his time. The Raja came down from his throne to shake our hands after the show, but we were never introduced to the princess who had watched our performance from a latticed balcony above. No common entertainer was permitted to speak with the royal bride, even if they performed at her wedding. Really, Binu, stop staring at that balcony and shut your mouth, Shahzad snapped at me as our troop filed out of the royal court. You make yourself look like a fool. Hey, Aladdin is meant to be really popular with the princesses, right? I teased him. I was still decked out in the satin pants and skullcap attire. 
But this pathetic Aladdin can't even catch a glimpse of a real princess. What good is having a faithful genie at your command if he cannot even introduce you to a princess? Princesses look just like other women, Shahzad sneered. And this one is getting married already, so you're out of luck. You've met the Raja. His daughter probably would have the same, uh, generous nose. Hopefully not also the generous moustache. We guffawed, eyes shining into each other's for a fleeting moment. Then I said, But you saw all those Devdasis. Think about it. If mere women of the court can look like that, the princess must be... The princess is not one of those women, Shahzad said, making a sharp turn away from the direction of the lavish dining arrangements. You will not dine with us? Since when did I eat the same food as you people, Bino? But you always come along and make the pretense, I said, surprised at the brusqueness that I did not entirely feel I deserved. That's when we dine with the rest of our circus troupe, to make sure that no one suspects otherwise, he replied. There are too many people at this place. Too much going on. No one will miss Shahzad Marid. I will. I must retire to the lamp, he said, as if shaking off the hurt in my voice. These festivities will continue late into the night and our troop begins to pack up at dawn. If I slip away now, I can steal a few hours of respite. I always carried the lamp in our trunk of clothes, scrubby enough to look like a circus prop. The actual prop was a cheaper but shinier replica, tossed around on the stage between Aladdin and Zafar. No human hand but mine had touched the real lamp in the past two years, and with nothing but gratitude, nothing but love. Nothing but that inchoate sensation of wistfulness that congealed in my chest on the nights that I lay awake in our tent, gazing at the lamp on my bedside after Shahzad had receded into it. If I picked it up, it would be cold, weightless, a thing forged centuries ago in a distant land, a curiosity, but not an especially valuable one in itself. It was a common household object, Shahzad once told me. Street vendors in Arabia sold great quantities of them to this day. With regular use, it would have lasted about five or six years. But this lamp had survived centuries, travelled hundreds of miles from its homeland, passed from hand to bloody victorious hand. My calloused trapeze artist hands could barely contain it. Another century or two will blow any trace of my fingers from its surface, as perhaps from the spirit it enclosed. From the stories people tell, even those in our own hack show, the lamp sounds like a prison. The listener imagines himself being suffocated, neck twisted, limbs folded at painful angles, squeezed into a box too small to contain his body and left there to wait for decades. But the listener of the tale is human. Imprisoned already in his withering flesh and bone, the measured years that are given to him. The human mind can barely fathom the bond between its own body and soul. What would it grasp of the relationship between a genie and his lamp? What could I, hardly a philosopher, never having read a book, barely literate enough to scribble my own name, grasp of it? 
in our two years of friendship, I had learned every detail of Shahzad Marid's humanity. There was no man or woman that I knew better. I could read each of his smiles, each raised eyebrow, each cryptic comment for exactly what it was. But I had also learned that his humanity was mere performance. He was relieved to shed it, as I was to remove my circus costumes and makeup. Shahzad Marid's greatest gift to me was the knowledge that I would never truly know the core of his existence, and not merely because I was unread. And perform he did, never cracking, never missing a beat, longer than any of us at the circus. No one but Johari knew or suspected anything about Shahzad's true nature. Even when he manifested in Aladdin and his magic lamp, weaving his way through wonders that no human could pull off, it was carefully designed to look like a triumph of stagecraft. Because I loved him, because I would never understand him at any greater depth than that, all I could do was give him a break from the act when he asked. Wake me up if you need something, he told me before he left, adding, but do spare me if it has more to do with princesses. You need to find yourself a different genie for that. I smiled, squeezed his hand and let him go. Where would I, trapeze master Binu of the Majestic Oriental Circus, find a different genie and why would I ever want another? As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
It was past midnight when the members of the troop retreated to our tents. Within the palace, the Tawaifs were still dancing for the last sleepless guests, but the palace grounds were now empty, for the common revellers had long since departed. Getting into my bed, I pressed a finger against the cold metal of Shahzad's lamp, but did not drag it. I needed my rest as much as he needed his. I must have barely drifted into blissful slumber when I woke up again at a hushed commotion from the trapeze artist's tents. It was the second hour of the night, still too dark to see without a light. A couple of girls came running to our tent. It's a woman from the palace, Binuda, they informed me. Says she wants to have a word with you. I couldn't recall talking much with any woman at the palace. Who would come looking for me in the dead of the night? I turned up the wick of my oil lamp and stepped out, sure that whoever it was must have mistaken me for someone else. The woman in question was dressed in a simple sari, her long hair flowing over her back. I was startled to recognize the head Devdasi of the Tripuram Raja's palace, the woman whose face had launched me into a thousand speculations earlier that day. With the expensive drapes and jewellery removed, she looked no older than sixteen or seventeen. Seeing her now, the first emotion that hit me was panic. Even speaking to this girl could probably get me punished by the Raja. How did you come here? I blurted out. Has anyone seen you? I told my maids that I wanted to pet the tigers, the girl said and shrugged nonchalantly. No one in this palace had ever seen a tiger before, and I am known to be willful. The tigers have been sedated for the night, I started to say, but she cut me off. The tigers can wait. I want you to let me sneak into your circus and escape this wretched palace. What? I have been dancing for fifteen years now, ever since I learned to walk, said the girl. There's no trick any of your girls can perform that I can't pick up in just a few days. I will be the best performer you've ever had. But you are a Devdasi. I peered in astonishment at the wide-eyed, long-lashed face that was no less attractive for its bareness. You live at the palace. You have more luxuries than any of us can imagine. You commune with the gods. Why would someone like you want to stoop to the circus? And what does communing with the gods generally entail, do you think? I had to admit, I didn't know. I live at the palace, but I am not a princess. None of my clothing or jewellery belongs to me. I don't actually have a single possession that cannot be taken away with a command from the Raja. I do not employ my maids. They maintain my household, but also keep an eye on me, report my activities to the Raja. Tell me why the Raja spends so much money keeping women like me. Because you commune... My own words sounded ridiculous to me. That's what it says in the scriptures, doesn't it? Said the girl. The priest communes with the gods with his mind and the Devdasi communes with her body. I wouldn't know. I was never taught to read the scriptures. I'm illiterate as they come. Reading is not a Devdasi's function. Though I could tell you all you ever wish to know about dance, about communing with higher powers with my body. Make a man of you too, 
if you wish. She gave me a saucy smile, but it felt more dangerous than inviting. If you don't like this life, why don't you go back to your family? Why fling yourself at a group of strangers like this? I asked. Because you're the only strangers at this wedding who would take me, she said. You're an odd bunch. You don't belong to any traditional system. There are all sorts of performers in your group. Surely you can find some use for a Devdasi? No one else has any need for me. Devdasis don't belong to families. We are bequeathed to the gods. We cannot be possessed by men, be that father or husband. My mother was also a Devdasi, as was my grandmother before her. But some man must have fathered you, seeing as you're just as human as I am, I said. His is the house where you should go, even if you don't like them or they you. The Raja? But I already live at his house. The girl startled me with a mirthless laugh. Of course, I don't count as the Raja's daughter, because a daughter can only be born of a man and a woman. Devdasis aren't women. We are offerings made to the patron goddess, entitled to be consumed by the maker of the offering once we have been touched by the goddess. I am not even an illicit child, merely a blessing received by my mother in the performance of her role, more property added to the coffers of the Raja who owned her. I am cleverer, more beautiful, more talented than the princess whose wedding you graced with your performance. But she is the princess, and I am property. I am less than even the common free woman in the street. I'll be honest, I had never heard anything like that. Not that I ever understood the elaborate social intricacies of the upper classes, but I always knew that I did not trust them. And her story just seemed to confirm my mistrust. If what this girl was saying was true, I could not possibly tell her to go back to the Raja's palace. But it was also impossible to imagine her at the circus. With her delicate step, her sheltered view of life, those smooth white hands that had probably never done a day's work. I told her so. The circus is no life for a lady like you. You have only seen us in performance. You cannot begin to imagine the sweat, heat, dust, filth and flies on the road. Sleeping huddled in tents, washing with animals in public ponds, the tasteless slop that we eat, the insecurity and physical labour that make up most of our days. I doubt you have the grit to survive it. If that is so, said the girl, I will part ways with your circus once you deliver me to the nearest city. I have heard that our traditional dance is being made secular in the cities, that there are dancers who are well respected in the community without belonging to any king or any temple. They give performances for the public, teach classes, save their own money and can also marry and have children if they wish. If I make it to the city... I will find ways to survive. All I need is safe passage out of here. Something about this girl had touched my heart the very first time I saw her at the head of the holy procession.
I didn't wish to call it infatuation. But Shahzad had noticed it too. It was what made him testy enough to retreat into his lamp. True, if she hadn't come to me, I would never have sought her out. But I would also have gone on believing that she lived a life just as ethereal as her face, devoted to worship and virtue that more common people like myself could not afford. Don't think I don't intend to compensate you for your assistance, the girl said, giving me a smile of such well-honed coyness that it made my heart do an inadvertent leap. I had no money to bring, but once you take me to the city, I promise to make you memories that you will cherish for the rest of your life. There's no need for any of that, I said, recoiling at the insinuation. I looked up at the sky. There was still a couple of hours before we were scheduled to leave. By the time the rest of the palace started waking up from the previous night's revelries, the majestic oriental circus would be well on its way. Go to one of the girls' tents and get some sleep, I told our new stowaway. We have a long day's journey ahead. The sky was clear, a deep rouge spreading over the eastern horizon when the majestic oriental circus began its preparations to leave the Tripuram Raja's palace. Half asleep, Disheveled performers emerged from their tents, which were then unmounted and loaded onto trucks. The birds and animals clamoured to be fed before they were secured. At my instruction, the young Devdasi had changed into clothes from the other girls of the troop and blended in with them, just in case anyone from the palace was keeping watch as we filed out. I went to have a word with Johuri. The majestic oriental circus has always been a refuge to outcasts and runaways, he began, and I nodded. But this woman is beholden to powers beyond ourselves. The diamond in Johuri's false left eye pierced me with a red glint from the rising sun. By giving her shelter, you have taken on charges that are yours alone. If any trouble comes of this girl, I promise to step up to it, I told my trusted employer and friend. She will be fed and clothed out of my salary. I will protect and instruct her and make sure she finds lodgings in the city when we get there. The circus will not have to bear any responsibility for my decision. Shahzad was not pleased when he emerged. I have never seen a bigger fool than you. He grumbled, skulking around the gathered props and trunks that were the farthest from the newest member of our troop. A pretty girl comes simpering with a sob story and suddenly trapeze master Binu is the gallant saviour we all lacked? Why do you think she did not go to any other guest at the wedding? Why not appeal to Johari directly if she wanted to join the circus? She came to you because she had noticed you stare at her earlier like a mesmerised child. She knew you wouldn't be able to say no. I suppose you're right, I said, trying to rest a hand on his arm, trying to pull him into a reluctant embrace. There was no use trying to disguise my thoughts from Shahzad. But that does not prove that she's wrong in trying to escape or that the people who would decline to help her are correct. I am doing the right thing here, Shahzad, 
even if it's not the most practical thing to do i have served warrior after warrior as far back as i can remember he said a few of them were unkind masters but others were loving and respectful though they still owned me there are worse lives than that of a glorified slave but now you are free wouldn't you say you prefer the change of circumstances no one is ever free least of all a genie only the nature of the master changes shahzad replied curtly before turning to walk away if i am free now it's because my master wishes me so my next master may be worse as may that girl's or any others i stared at his receding back the taut defined muscles that i longed to knead with my palms to remind him that i had never been his master but that would have to wait for another time far away from this palace with its loathsome practices the skies began to grow ominously dark as soon as our trucks rolled out of the palace gates clouds rumbled tree branches cracked overhead waves of dust rose on the distant horizon within the town of tripuram as we passed the few early risers hurried to return inside doors and windows were noisily shut it was a storm as unseasonal as any in this part of the land the trucks were the closest we had to homes in fair or rough weather so we trudged on until we were on the dirt roads that led out of town and could simply go no farther unrestrained by any more houses the winds came pounding at our canvas walls like solid boulders the trucks swayed like they were wooden toys for children not hundreds of tons of machine on wheels inside our animals screamed and rattled against their cages dust clouds covered the sky obscuring the sun our drivers could no longer see the road dust razor sharp and unforgiving filled the eyes and nostrils of anyone who tried to look outside usually a heavy rain comes lashing quick on the trail of a dust storm calming the winds and weighing down the dust into mud but it had been an hour since this dust had risen and there was still not a drop of moisture as i sat in the first of our trucks a massive trumpeting from the truck behind us told me that the elephants had broken free and another tearing heart-wrenching wail followed as one of them was blown away by the winds in all my 30 years of life i had never heard anything like it the third truck carrying the clowns fire eaters and my own trapeze team soon turned on its side with a sickening lurch from my own truck i could hear none of their voices although in my guts i could feel them crying praying to their respective gods groaning as they scrambled in blindness bones trampled and crunched the girl whom we had rescued from the palace was among them too perhaps shahzad was right if we all died in this freak apocalypse this morning i would have proved to be a worse master than the raja not only to her but to everyone else in my care i am a man who has left his own forest deities far behind in his past so there was no greater power to whom i could kneel in any case if all these other pious people's prayers were going unheard how might i 
faithless of heart, sway any god to my favor. A heavy figure swayed its way through the truck and dropped heavily, purposefully, next to me. It was Johri. Trapeze Master Binu, you promised to bear responsibility, he whispered into my ear. Each of his words fell like the gong of a temple bell cutting through the mayhem outside my brain. What? This dust storm? I was stunned by his suggestion. You think I have something to do with this? I did warn you that the girl you rescued was beholden to powers beyond ourselves. I thought, I thought you meant the Tripuram Raja and his administration. Johuri said nothing, just stared at me with his cold eyes, both living and stone. Nothing was enough. I don't know how to... I don't know who... The crashes and screams returned, closing in on my senses like water over the head of a drowning man. So I rose to my feet, staggering from wall to wall as the floor of the truck churned beneath me and dropped myself into the dust-filled darkness. There was nothing, absolutely nothing to see. My eyes Ears and mouth were assaulted by dust as soon as I hit the ground. Dust scraped against my bare legs beneath my dhoti like a thousand razor blades. In less than a second, every inch of my skin felt like it was being flayed. I could feel the blood trickle down my arms, legs, chest. I could feel my face growing muddy with blood. Coughing, choking, spitting, I called out into the nothingness. Here I am, Trapeze Master Binu. I think it is me you want. I spat out more dust. Spare the rest of the circus. They took no part in my decision to rescue the girl. I waited, struggling to breathe, feeling foolish. Then a voice came, responding to my cry. I do not know why I remember it as a female voice, because it did not even sound human. It came from the wind, molding and resonating as a blend of dust and words. I am the Kuldevi of the kingdom of Tripuram, she said. Stupid human, filthy, untouchable low-caste, whom no god will deign to claim for his own, did you think you could run away with my property and pay nothing for your crime? Her insults did not perturb me. I had heard them and worse from people and expected no better from their gods. But the words still made my blood boil. No man or woman is anyone's property! I spluttered through the dust that clogged my mouth. Not the Tripuram Rajas, not even yours! I don't care if you are human or goddess! You are not my goddess, as you well know. The thick, blowing dust rippled with laughter. I could feel it dance on my skin as the grains freshly scoured the bleeding surface. A free man are you? More words formed. A man who acknowledges no master and surely no charge. Then, when the men, women and animals of this party of fools die, as they will within the next hour, their deaths will not be on your conscience. 
I wanted to scream back that their death should be on the conscience of this vengeful goddess, but I did not even know if the gods possessed consciences. Besides, just the thought of their death deflated the righteous rage in my heart. My strange but upright boss who had employed me when no one else would, my colleagues and friends who received me as one of their own, the young boys and girls whom I hand-picked and trained for my trapeze team, none of whom I had consulted before I brought down this mayhem upon them. I was a free man till my last breath, but none of them should have to bear the consequences of my freedom. Take my life! Let them go! I pleaded. Another gust of laughter, another whiplash of dust across my body. And why would I be sated with one mortal life when I came here prepared to take fifty, including the life of that traitorous whore who dares to defy being beholden to me? I did not know what else would sate her. I am a poor man with hardly any treasures. I had kept aside a few rupees from my salary for the past two years, hoping to return to my mother and buy a house when I finally had enough. I could not imagine my modest savings would buy the lives of the majestic oriental circus from the Kuldevi of Tripuram. The goddess seemed to read my thoughts. It is heartening to see you realize the utter triviality of your existence, trapeze master Bino, she spoke. Your puny mortal life and its possessions are every bit as worthless to me as you think. But there is one thing you own, much more valuable than your life, for which I will let your entire circus go, even that filthy whore in yourself. I waited, dry tongue scraping the dust that now formed a crust on the roof of my mouth, wondering what she meant. Give me the genie. The bottom of my stomach dropped. The genie is not mine to give, I murmured. It is the only possession of yours that interests me, said the Kuldevi. Jinn are rare in this part of the world. I have never seen one before, yet I felt its presence and desired it as soon as it crossed into my dominion. But I cannot take it by force. For the laws that bind the genie to its human master are forged in a distant land over an oath to a different god, far beyond my powers to bend. Give me the genie of your own free will, and you and all your company will live. I shut my eyes, which were suddenly muddy and stinging with the tears that had rushed into them. My heartbeat was slow, irregular. If it were only about me, I would have gladly died at this moment in this dust storm conjured by a wrathful goddess whom I did not worship. And then there was an arm around my waist, holding me upright again. There was a hand wiping dust, blood and tears from my eyes. It was Shehzad Marid, ever-loving, ever-loyal, always by my side in my hour of need. I know you did not call for me, he whispered in my ear. But a genie can summon himself into action when his master is in grievous danger. 
Your body and mind can take no more of this, Binu. Mortals are not made for extended interaction with the divine. Let me go with the goddess. But before that, let me take you back to the truck to be among your people. It will not faze me. I have known worse. Give me your command and I will obey. I clasped his hand in mine through the dust and the blood, trying to absorb the warmth of his fingers like a man clutching at straws as he drowns. I am not your master. We will continue that debate another day, he laughed, but the laughter fell more like a wounded howl on my ear. I am sure your path will bring you to Tripuram again. I hope I have a kind master by then, one who will not object to me sitting and chatting a while with an old friend. And suddenly, I had an idea. Kuldeviya Tripuram! I called out again, summoning the strength that was dripping away from me. I know you cannot possess Shehzad yourself, so you must give his ownership to one of your human worshippers. If that man turns rogue, or if he dies before passing on the ownership to another worshipper, Shazad will forever be lost to you. He may turn vengeful, and you have never seen the vengeance of a genie whose master is dead. There is no precedent in your land for anything like it. Your land will be laid barren. You will be left without worshippers. I pulled myself up with Shazad's arms. Instead... Let me come with him. Both of us will serve you for exactly the length of half of my remaining life. He is loyal to me, and you have seen inside my heart. I am a man of my word. When that period is over, we will leave, and no harm will come to you or your worshippers. More silence, more storm, and then words again. Half of your remaining life is hardly seven years, sneered the goddess. That was less than I would have hoped for, but I had no tears to spare. An early death was better than spending long years of my youth in the captivity of the Kuldevi of Tripuram, better than dying this minute, never holding Shehzad in my gaze again. My life was a blink in the eternity that Shahzad would have to spend with other masters. What could change between us in a few years, more or less? But you speak the truth, said the goddess. This genie of yours will not come with me willingly or reveal to me any of its secrets. None of my priests is acquainted with its true nature. They know nothing but children's stories and misleading spectacles like the one you put up with your circus. Despicable as you may find me, foolish, arrogant man, I do bear responsibility for the well-being of my worshippers. I resent your paltry offer of seven years, but I will accept it. Come to my temple in Tripuram before sunset, and devote yourselves by ritual. Binu, why? Shehzad started to protest, but I squeezed his hand and said, Shh, as the winds began to dissolve around us.
there was no further interruption from the goddess. In the emerging sunshine, we stood holding each other, surrounded by the debris of the beloved circus that had been our family and life. The first person I went looking for was the rescued young Devdasi. She was injured, terrified, but, like the other members of the circus, had heard nothing of our encounter with the Kuldevi of Tripuram. I let it stay that way. No one else had to bear the burden of my choices or my guilt. In our last hours, Shazad was kinder to the girl, mending a fractured wrist with underhanded magic, giving her advice on how to survive in the city all by herself. I saw them smiling together, head to head, and I could feel the sun's rays warming my battered bones. Savitri is quite an extraordinary woman, really, Shahzad came back to inform me. Brave, level-headed, no airs about herself. I can see why you were taken by her. I have no doubt she will do very well in the city, maybe even become famous. Savitri, I rolled the name around on my tongue, realizing that, in all this time, it had never occurred to me to ask. Shazad, I started to say, pulling him aside. No. He placed a thin, immortal finger to my raw lip. I would have cried then. I would have dropped to his feet and asked for forgiveness. But I was afraid that he would cry too, and I had taken enough devastation for a day. Johuri agreed to take charge of Savitri in my stead until the circus reached the city and make sure she was well settled and safe before they left. Johuri had heard nothing of our bargain with the goddess either, but of course I had to tell him. I will find you once you are released of your bond, he told me, pressing a bag of money that I had done nothing to earn into my hands. Doors will always be open for both of you at the Majestic Oriental Circus. He smiled ruefully, gazing at the rubble that surrounded us. Or whatever is left of it. I promised I would let no harm come to the circus, I said, turning my eyes to the ground. I failed to keep my promise. Say no more of it, he said. If I may ask for... One more favor? I hesitated. Of course, my man. I left my old mother in the city in the east where you took me in. We only had each other in the world. But once I was signed on to the circus, I did not even wait to go home and take my leave of her. I was young and thoughtless then, a wayward son who only worried and disappointed her. I imagined I would come back soon and give her a big surprise, but the circus kept travelling. I did not even notice how two years went by. Now that I know that I won't see my mother for a long time, I will look her up when I return to the city in the east, tell her you are alive, and remind her that her son is loyal and brave, if not always the most practical.
Johari said. And if there is any way I can help your mother, I will do my best. Thank you, Johari Saab, I replied, overwhelmed. There is nothing more I desire from the world. And that was how we walked into our exile. Man and genie, never master and slave, but equals in friendship and love. I was no longer a free man, and I don't know if I had ever been, but if I must pick a master for half, no, all, of my remaining life, I know there would have been no better choice than Shehzad Marid. For that day and the rest of my foreshortened mortal existence, I would follow his footsteps through darkness and light. And that would suffice. What are love and compassion against a dangerous world filled with unconquerable powers? Mimi Mondal's answer is simple. They're everything. Ready for more unusual adventures? Try Gods and Lies, in which a mortal investigator reluctantly partners with a delinquent demigod to solve a murder. Or maybe try The Triangle. The mysticism and intrigue of the Bermuda Triangle has just turned personal for Admiral David Sagari. His former ship, the USS Wasp, has gone missing in the area without a trace. You can find both shows right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, whatever dimension you're in, safe travels. You're listening to Tales Beyond Time, created and produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Tales Beyond Time, Episode 36, features His Footsteps Through Darkness and Light, written by Mimi Mondal. It is produced by Mary Asadolahi and Marco Palmieri. Associate produced by Alexis Latshaw and executive produced by Molly Barton. Hosted by Marco Palmieri and performed by Vikas Adam. Audio produced by Spoken Realms. Additional editing by Nicholas Papaleo. Cover art by Kindle Thomas.